Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. This reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, verse 41 to 52. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of the Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with clubs and swords to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but linen garments, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. And let me add my welcome to those uh, of Ben and others this morning. It's fantastic to have you with us. Betrayal. I wonder what comes into your mind when you hear that word. There's plenty about it. Plenty of it out there. Cursory search of the last month's media told me that the DUP's Ian Paisley said they feel betrayed by the Northern Ireland Protocol. Tea and sympathy would not cut the mustard. Leaseholders in apartment blocks with unsafe cladding feel betrayed because the government had said multiple times they should not pay. The House impeachment managers in the States reasserted that Mr. Trump had betrayed the American people. There's plenty of betrayal out there. But I'm sure that for others, when I say that word, it's not so much out there as in here. Perhaps you are living with the consequences of a betrayal in your own life. Perhaps you have been terribly let down by a close friend or a business associate, or even a spouse. There isn't much that registers as deeply and as uncomfortably with us, I think, as betrayal. And I guess that's perhaps because betrayal is not a singular sin. It's, it's revealed in a single action, which then undoes and pollutes everything that came before. I don't know about you, but frankly, just saying the world makes me feel rather unpleasant. So I come to today's passage with some degree of trepidation. We begin today 
a slow walk through the final hours of Jesus' life as recounted in the Gospel of Mark. And as we do so, we are pitched straight into what must be amongst the darkest moments of Jesus' darkest day, his betrayal by Judas Iscariot. How are we to take it in for ourselves? What does it mean for us? Well, it's obviously not a passage bubbling over with ready sound bites for your Instagram account or the margins of your devotional notebook. But it is important. And I want to encourage you, as Ben has already done, to engage this morning with your whole heart and mind. This is a moment in our world. A moment that happened in the same world in which we still live. It is a moment where we see the reality of our human condition. And I'm praying that today, as over the coming weeks, we will be helped to understand that more rightly. But more importantly, it's part of the bigger story that lands at Easter Sunday. It's a bit like that moment uh, towards the end of every great story or movie where our hero approaches a final challenge without which the day cannot be won. And there's a part of us that wishes, can't we just sort of skip over this bit and just jump to the end? But we know actually that the end will only satisfy if we have followed the process of its achievement through So I pray too that each one of us would be drawn into and through the depths of these hours so that we would come to know also the heights of what will follow. Quick reminder of the story so far before we dive in. Jesus' healing and teaching ministry has run its course. Uh, He's had a growing following and also a growing opposition. But even as that grows around him, Jesus has been determined to head on to Jerusalem into the eye of the storm. And he has predicted to his disciples that he will be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he will die. He's shared a last meal with them and then they have gone out to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. As Mark recounts it is a time of great anguish. Christ knows what lies ahead. He's resolved to go through it but is overwhelmed by the prospect. And his companions are fast flaking out as he pursues his spiritual battle. There they are, supposed to be praying with him, and they have twice fallen asleep. And now, verse 41 of Mark 14. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of Of sinners. And as we come to the following uh, verses, we have that delivery laid out, as it were. And I'd like to consider three things with you. Number one, Christ's heartache. Number two, Christ's humility. And thirdly, Christ's healing mission. First thing, Christ's heartache. Jesus says, verse 42 Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus experiences the heartache of betrayal. The man Jesus was personally betrayed. For a small payment, the face of a friend turned into the face of an enemy. And friends, I underline this today, first of all, because it means that if you know Christ, you have a Lord 
who understands one of the deepest pains that it is possible to have in any relationship, the heartache of betrayal. And see how the detail of the account account unfolds that pain. The saddest thing they say about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. And so it is with Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. Judas was, of course, one of Jesus' friends, one of the 12. There, There was a time, there had been a time, when the name Iscariot carried no sinister overtones at all. There were no red flags when he was selected. People would have noted that he too had had the great honor of a call from Jesus. He'd been commissioned to heal, to preach the good news, and he'd done it. He'd been out there ministering and no doubt to astounding success as with the rest. He'd walked with, he'd eaten with, he'd discussed with Jesus, Peter, John, James, and the others. He'd surely suffered with them. He'd struggled alongside with them. He was the one who managed the purse, we're told. He was clearly involved in all the practical decisions. He was surely looked up to by the wider group of Jesus' supporters. It was from that close that Christ was betrayed. And see also how this betrayal was done with excessive force. Verse 43, with Judas was a crowd armed with swords and clubs. It's an extraordinary moment, isn't it? For all the trust that Jesus had received as a disciple, see how he comes armed. To the Messiah who had let him in completely, who had issued every form of worldly power or strength, military might, Judas came with swords and clubs. Next, see how the betrayal was done in the name of Jesus' most bitter opponents. How it must have hurt that this crowd was, verse 43, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. So Judas comes to his old friend on behalf of his new friends, the sworn enemies of his former master. Or rather, he doesn't come with them. He comes with the fixers appointed by his new friends because his new friends don't want to get their hands dirty. They stay at home, but Judas is happy to head up a mob of people who will do their work. And then see the bitter irony of the act itself. Verse 44. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Now, the kiss here is not unusual as a social gesture, but it is bitterly ironic. That act, which is supposed to signal affection, becomes the signal for arrest, leading to murder. But I guess perhaps the greatest pain is to be found here in this betrayal, in Christ's innocence and his integrity. Verse 48, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Jesus had done Judas no wrong. He'd done the authorities no wrong either. There had been political revolutionaries bent on bloodshed in Jesus' day. Jesus was hung in between two of them, but he was not one. 
As he says in verse 49, every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. There had been ample opportunity for due process. Jesus had not ministered from the shadows. But the betrayer came in the darkness because he and those he represented knew their opposition to Jesus did not bear the scrutiny of daylight. This betrayal was so utterly undeserved. And then the final bitterness, so extraordinarily captured in these verses, comes as all Jesus' friends leave. The last one is so desperate to be disassociated with him that he will run off into the night naked for the sake of not getting caught. In all that, we can imagine, can't we, Christ's heartache. Now, I do not know what it is like to be profoundly betrayed. I cannot imagine what it means to have someone enter your trust and then turn it inside out. But I imagine that some who are listening this morning have. And I want to speak particularly to you if that is true for you. Those who have suffered this kind of betrayal, betrayal from someone so close, betrayal perhaps violent in nature, betrayal where the other party took the side of those who are most against you, betrayal perhaps in which you two were utterly innocent, betrayal perhaps at a moment when your friends also deserted you. If you have known that kind of betrayal, then know that you worship and pray to one who knows the same thing. There is one who has seen that same sword coming. You follow one who knows the kiss of the lips of betrayal. Here is one whose compassion for you in your suffering is the compassion of one who truly knows. This is Christ's heartache. The second, see Christ's humility. Christ's humility. I decided over lockdown to share some movie classics with my kids, and we made a start on Star Wars. Sadly, I think we're going to have to pause because um, the back of Darth Vader's shaven head is too scary, and the black eyes of the snow troopers have actually caused some nightmares. You can imagine I'm slightly in the doghouse in our family. Anyway, I decided I would nevertheless capitalize on the Disney Plus subscription that, of course, I had to take to watch the Star Wars Mandalorian series. Now, the Mandalorian uh, is the hero of the series, and if you haven't come across it, uh, perhaps part of his appeal is his integrity, born out of his Mandalorian identity. When he and the other Mandalorians assemble in the early episodes, they always repeat to each other this refrain, this is the way. And it's a sort of sign-off uh, on some particular path of action. When they do something out of complete commitment to each other's survival, for example, they say, this is the way. And as we track these last hours of Jesus' life, we see with striking clarity, this is Christ's way. This is Christ's distinctive way of humility. 
And it is so different from the way we, as human beings, usually act. We see it, first of all, in the extraordinary contrast with Judas's methods. Judas, remember, brings clubs and swords, and Christ, the one who is powerful enough to destroy each one present, does not even respond. His companions may draw their swords, but the humble Christ does not retaliate. He doesn't even remonstrate. We see his humility too in his obedience to the Father's plan. He says, verse 49, the scriptures must be fulfilled. In other words, I have a task before me, and though it costs me so much, I will hand myself over to you, Judas, because it is the Father's will that I do so. Now, we may wonder what exact scriptures Jesus had in mind here. I guess there were many. Perhaps, amongst other things, he was thinking of Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Well, right there is Christ's humility. Not breaking a bruised reed. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, first, I think if Christ's way is a way of humility, then the church that follows him should be humble from top to bottom. The people to look up to in the Christian life are the humble ones. And I think that needs saying because it's not naturally how we think. You read the studies, um, they'll tell us that our natural inclination is to go after the people with charisma, people who can speak well, those who've got lots of self-confidence, people who are physically attractive. And the same happens in the church. I know for myself there are times that I choose the people I listen to or I read or follow because they've got their name about or because they have a position or because I'm entertained by them. Do they have a Christ-like, humble character? Well, that's not even a question I can answer. I mean, I've never got close enough. But if humility is the way, then that is the model that we're to follow. And that's a great challenge to a Christian celebrity culture. And I'm underlining that point today particularly because in the last couple of weeks, another major abuse scandal has cut through the evangelical world. It transpires that Ravi Zacharias who was a world-renowned Christian apologist, had over many decades uh, been guilty of sexting, unwanted touching, spiritual abuse, and rape. Turns out he used his organizational, he refused to use his organizational email. He used multiple mobile devices to hide his activity. He used his immense influence over his victims to stop them from speaking out. And the further tragedy of it all was that those in his organization were so in his thrall that when he was accused, they attempted to discredit the testimony of those who accused him. This is a great tragedy. Not least, it is such a far cry from the Christ who lived transparently before the world in constant humility. The leaders we are to look for are leaders of humility. If you're in leadership, That is how you are to lead. Where in these coming weeks does the challenge to lead in such humility lie? I wonder, can we follow Christ's humility? 
Christ's heartache, Christ's humility, and finally, Christ's healing mission. These are dark moments, but here the light begins to break in. I wonder if you paused on Thursday to take in the successful landing of the Mars rover Perseverance. It's worth watching just to see the delight and triumph on the faces of the NASA team. The reason why they're so triumphant is that not smashing into the side of a crater in the process of landing is actually a very tricky business, and many in the past have failed. But Christ's betrayal, though it looks like a failure, is not one. And it's not even like those SpaceX landings where the thing topples over and the commentator says optimistically, well, we've learned a great deal from this particular mission. No, these events have absolutely gone to plan. Remember how Jesus begins, verse 41. Enough, the hour has come. The hour has come, he says. Extraordinary words. They signify that Jesus knows what is going on. He is going deliberately to his betrayer. This is not an accident. It's not a tragedy. It is, in fact, according to the scriptures. And to understand it, I guess we need their broader picture. As we see, as we step back from the, this particular event and zoom out of the big picture of scripture, we see that Jesus is going to the cross through betrayal to save mankind. And he alone is going to do that. Now, we're not to condone the disciples' actions, but actually when the disciples desert Jesus, they are just stepping out of the mission that ultimately only Jesus, only God the Son, will ever accomplish. In another place, Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we'll think about those verses in the coming weeks a little bit further. But for now, let's just grasp this basic truth. Where we see piercing, crushing, punishment, the outcome, the goal, is peace. Where we see wounds, the outcome is to be healing. There is hope in Christ's suffering because it achieves our salvation. And this is the most glorious part of these verses. And yes, we dare say that, glorious, that Christ was deserted by his companions so that God might never desert us. Christ was betrayed by Judas so that he might never ever let us down. This moment is part of our salvation because Jesus stepped through and onto the cross. Only because of that may we say, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the healing mission that Christ completed on our behalf. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram 
to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.